we don't have any obits this week, oh, uh, but well, we goodness. we we, we kind of do. There was an assassination oh, yeah. at yeah. Disney. Yeah, well, there was yeah. a, a very Shakespearean <laughs> assassination. So, oh, for those who don't who, who who may not follow this stuff, Peter Rice mm-hmm. has been for decades one of the most beloved and respected executives in all of Hollywood. Peter Rice was the guy who who single handedly built Fox Searchlight. And if you like the brand of Fox Searchlight, now just Searchlight, um, he was he was stolen away by Disney, and he's been running all kinds of TVs, like all of television over at Disney for for a number of years. And then of course they got Searchlight back. So mm. a lot of us thought, oh, perfect, you know, they they now Peter Rice and Searchlight are together again, and the the co-heads of Searchlight who replaced Peter, mm-hmm. they just left. So I was thinking. What a great time to you know let him put his 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 mark on the uh, on the, on the company again. But the other thing is Bob Chappick, the CEO of Disney, is incredibly embattled as as people mm. you know. If you pay attention to the news, you know that Chappick is is he's under siege with the whole Florida thing and the contract is up in February. Contract is up Contract's in February. Up in February. Um, and they've only had two other CEOs over like the last thirty years. You know, I mean Eisner and Iger lasted a long time. Chappick. Mm sees himself as he was hired by Eisner and he was appointed the heir apparent by Iger. So he has a connection to both of them and it's, it behooves him. He's a parks guy though. He's not a talent and movies guy. Mm. And so all that direct to streaming stuff got him off on a bad foot with, uh, with talent. Um, he's made changes in the parks that a lot of people don't like. Like now you've got to pay extra to go on certain rides and you got to pay extra to get your, 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 what used to be the fast pass. And there are all of these things that just people are not happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, he, not to mention that this is down in Florida. We got into this, he's been he's been into it with the people in Florida on a, for a long time on a lot of things, but this most recent one, he got himself yeah. on the wrong side somehow of of all political parties, of his own employees, of parents, of politicians, and and you know he he, he somehow he's just not balancing all these things, and people started saying. You know, Peter Rice could be would be a great choice for the next CEO. Well, apparently Bob Chappick reads those news stories too. Yeah. Because he called Peter Rice into his office and <laughs> said, You're fired. And yeah. uh and let him go. And apparently Peter Rice was quote unquote blindsided by it. Uh the Peter Rice's, you know, right right arm woman, she's been appointed to take his place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure there are no hard feelings. Everybody knows how this goes. But it is uh, it is Shakespearean, mm. and uh, the question is, what does this bode for Disney, who uh, who just had another movie censored in Saudi Arabia? Mm. Well, um, we should note that uh, right after he he fired uh, Rice, uh, the Disney board issued a uh, uh, you know a, a, a support for Chappick. Uh, now they didn't renew his contract. If you are in good stead, in positions like that, if you are in good stead, your contract usually gets renewed almost two years before the the current contract is up. There are extensions and these things. None of that has happened. Uh, um, uh, And and his contract is up in February. Um, So, you know, um, uh, you know, look, we've been around a long time. I've seen this stuff. go. I think the king is Mm -hmm. dead, dude. I, I, I kind of do too. The what's what's interesting here is there there are two other details that I find kind of interesting. One is that the that when Eisner was booted, that was largely orchestrated through board then board member Roy Disney. 
the son of co-founder Roy Disney, mm-hmm. nephew of Walt, mm-hmm. the last member of the Disney family to swing a big bat with the company. Mm-hmm. So it was still kind of a family company at the time, publicly owned, but you know, you had a, you had a Disney that everybody respected and he was on the board and he, you know, there was, a, there was even, <laughs> there was even a, a spat dude back when I was doing the podcast with Mark, we used to get the, uh, the DVDs, the Disney, the, the, the tins of the classic Disney cartoons and TV shows. And you know, the, the official collectors tins with the thing. It was, it was a big marketing thing, Yeah, but they had a little band on it. There's a little blue you know, merchandising band that said, you know, approved by or, or sanctioned by, signed off, and a little Roy Disney signature. <laughs> and when Eisner, before Eisner got booted and he was having his spat with Roy Disney, Roy <laughs> Disney's name and signature briefly disappeared from the marketing. <laughs> it was, it was, it, I mean, it was so petty. But at the same time, Roy Disney's not there. So now the, this is, this is the, you know, Chappick is the first guy who has stepped into this position without some kind of having to, without having to sort of get the, kiss the ring of the Disney family in some regard. Yeah. Although, although Abigail, who's not a part of the company in any way, shape or form, but makes all these movies and really hates the, the remuneration. Abigail's constantly kicking him in the company. She's, you know, it's a, it's a different, it's a different kind of Disney involvement. But, yeah. But Abigail, but Abigail also, also hates her dad. Yeah, so she's just, that's just a whole different thing, but there she it's is. A, it's a different thing, yeah. Abigail being Roy's daughter, and, yeah. you know, yeah, Abigail's, you know, everything, it's it, it's a rebellious kid thing. Everything Roy was, Abigail is not. Everything Abigail is, Roy was not. Roy was a conservative Republican, Abigail is an activist Democrat, you know, it's a whole, there's a whole thing going on, it's a family yeah. thing, I don't, I don't want to get into it. Yeah. But, whatever. Um, so I find, I find the, the absence of a Disney mediating figure interesting. But what I also find interesting is that, um, is, is that, is that uh, Chappick came in under, basically under COVID, you know? So he, he was dealt a bad hand to begin with. And I, I cut him a lot of slack for that. You know, you, you've got to sort of say like, okay, give the guy, you know, a minute. I've been as critical as anybody else of some of his moves, but give him a minute to have, you know, like a normal circumstance to, to sort of show what he can do. I think that's what the board is looking at. They're saying, yeah, we get it. COVID and, you know, um, first time jitters and whatever other things, you know, we're not going to, it, it's not good for the stuff, but Disney stock is down to like a 20 year low or something like that. I mean, it's hmm. taking a beating. Now everything's taking a beating right now. Yeah, it's a moment, but, but, out, but outside of that. But outside of that, I think, you know, they want to see what do you do? If you are a CEO, you still have to perform. You got to make choices. You got to make, you, you got to handle the, the rough situations. So if he can't handle, you know, this is the, this is the test. Can he handle the current moment? Can he handle it up until his contract renewal is up, is ready in March? And they may just keep everybody waiting. They may just keep everybody sitting on pins and needles until like, you know, February 1. And, you know, February 1 rolls around. They may say, all right, Bob, you you pulled it together. You know, you you you, you faced the stampede. You stood your ground. You got the, you got the, you corralled them. You brought the doggies in for the, for the, uh, for the long run to, 
well, Oklahoma. I don't. I'm not a cattle farmer. I, don't, I, I can't use these analogies, but you get the analogy. You, yeah, you yeah. herded them. You herded them, and you roped them, and you brought them in. So here's uh, the reality, as far as I'm concerned. I'm just going to be real straightforward. Both neither Bob Chappick or Boris Johnson are going to be in office in February. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're both going to be on a boat someplace, <laughs> going 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 Maybe. to film festivals. They're both out oh, here. Uh, it's literally the exact same circumstance. They're both out there, both done. Mr. Rice, all he has to do is keep his powder dry. The issue is, um, and, and this is why um, Bob put, uh, what's her name? Diane Waldron, Diane? Diane, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, this is why he, he chose her. Um, because it, it makes it impossible for Tim Rice to, to get that position anytime soon. Uh, because when he, gets, when he gets stabbed out, and he will be. Peter Rice. Uh, uh, Peter Rice, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, uh, when he gets stabbed out, and he will be. Um, uh, uh, um, th- there's no way the board is going to replace her with Peter Rice. That's true. Uh, they're very good friends. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, it would be they, you, you now. You have yet a third Shakespearean ridiculous. Well, so no matter how much they want Rice, they can't have him uh, yeah. because because I, I stuck a poison pill, I, pill in your spot. I think Rice is going to go to uh, Discovery Warner. Yeah, and there were rumors that that was where he was headed. He put a he put an end to those, but I think that's when he still had a he still had a career at Disney. So uh, I think you know he doesn't want to have to answer directly to um, he, he he doesn't he doesn't he, he doesn't like the chain of command and having to answer directly to to the CEO at, at, at you know at Warner. But he may have a second thought about that because yeah. he's a real. I mean, look, Peter Rice is an amazing executive. And what makes him so good is he's an old school executive who has the two things that people who come to Hollywood from out of town do not have. If you come here from Wall Street or you come here from PepsiCo or, or you know, from the NBA or the NHL or some other. If you come here from any other business or any other industry or any other company, you lack two things. Number one, you got to have talent relationships. And number mm-hmm. two, you got to have taste. You mm-hmm. got to sort of know the business and love movies and be able to say – there's no business reason to approve that movie. It really isn't, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to green light it. Yeah. Yeah. This kid, this kid's going to be great. That's uh, it. Uh, Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Taste, taste and the two T's taste and talent relationships. So, uh, Peter Rice had both of those still does, um, may have them to a greater degree than anybody in Hollywood. Chappick doesn't have either of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's his. That's his drawback. He but, said he was a he was a parks guy. He's a parks guy. He is a parks guy. He is a parks guy. And frankly, you know, I mean, people have to remember Disney is. I, I, I can I can bring all this stuff up, but I'll come back and I'll say there's nothing wrong with being a parks guy because Disney is a parks company. Yeah, I mean, they make more consistent money more regularly off of the parks than they do off anything else. A movie may may flop or not, but. Pretty much, you know, X number of people are going to go to Disneyland and Disney World on any given day. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you need somebody that knows that business, too. Not as sexy, though. Movies are sexy. Movies are sexy. Business is sexy. All right. We're going to we're going to read some uh, listener mail. We haven't read this in a long time um, because, you know, like I hate the pandemic is not exactly a great way to read on the show. But listen, we've gotten some interesting things. Frank Lopes uh, says, morning, gods, have a brief question. I was hoping you could answer. I have been trying to stream 13 Assassins through a host of different streaming platforms, but have noticed that the default state of the movie is to have subtitles automatically displayed over the entire film. They are not a separate element controlled by the language settings and cannot be turned off. That wouldn't be such a big deal as I do need them, but they run across the screen and obscure many objects captured on film. 
does the Blu-ray version also do this as well? I'm dying to watch this movie again and will buy, but uh, only if this feature is not present on the film. Also, why would anyone do this in the first place? It disrupts the viewing experience and contaminates the filmmaker's vision. It seems a bizarre choice. Um, so, so I, I, I mean, I don't, I took a, the, the subtitles are different in the streaming version than they are on the Blu-ray. So mm -hmm. I can't, I can't address whether or not the Blu-ray will obviously be, um, uh, similarly distracting to him. But here's the thing. The, the streaming platforms all use elements that have been delivered to them by the studios. Mm. But what's really interesting is you often you're, you will often wonder why are the subtitles different because the subtitles come on a track, so you, you they're not burned in and it's not a font choice that comes with it. It you, you get this on basically a a text file is what mm. it is, mm. and it's a text file that you drop into your software that runs your streaming site, and based on the settings that the streaming site has, whether it's Amazon or Vudu or you know Movies Anywhere or whatever it is, Infinity X they all sort of have their own subtitle settings and protocols and it's going to look different. So sometimes it's a matter of, you know, that's what, why movies anywhere is nice because movies anywhere gets you access at all these different places at Apple and at uh, voodoo and at uh, Fandango. And, and some of these places are, you, you know, have not received their, their 4k streams yet from the studio. Some, some places you'll just get an HD stream. Some you'll get a 4k. So you're not going to get the same experience at every single site. But if you go with movies anywhere and you can access it every site, you can kind of shop around and see who's who's got the best uh, the best version of it for whatever movie you want to watch. But mm. I, I sympathize. It's a uh, it's it's a little bit of the wild west out there right now with that mm. kind of stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Tim, I love this mm. right here. This I absolutely love. So Billy Milby, longtime listener, wrote us a, a while back about uh, a, a particular situation trying to save an old theater. Oh yeah, and we have an update on that. Here, here is the update. Greetings, Digigods. Maybe this breaks some record for a follow-up email. Back in 2011 or so, I emailed a theater in Georgia that uh, that was in small town that had been shut down since around 1975. Apparently, not long after Lash Larue came and cracked his whip over a live audience for some event or so I'm told, <laughs> I drove past it constantly and always wished someone would do something with it. I was only 24, Billy, you're giving your age away, oh, yeah. but figured if I don't, no one will. After some digging around and forming of alliances, it turns out it was on the verge of repossession and demolition. After getting some actual adults behind me, one of them was a wealthy community-minded person associated with the local arts association. He stepped up and actually bought it and held it while I spearheaded the effort to form a 501c3. Unfortunately, it took over two years to get that status, and by then the whole thing somewhat fell on its face and lost all momentum. Mm. Plus, my first kid came and I was in a different life phase. After some deliberation and an effort to keep it afloat in the meantime, it was turned into a makeshift antique market. But yada, 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 after one more change of hands over the pandemic, I can report that my wife and I took our kids to a live Christmas production in the theater this past December, and it hey. felt amazing to think I played a small part in keeping it from being knocked down. It's not a movie theater with the current owner's plans, but you never know down the road. A dinner theater, events venue, and place for live productions is not half bad in my book. You can look up the Muse Theater in Perry if any of you or in the audience are around. Billy Milby. 
So happy ending. Fantastic. Uh, and, and, and you know, it's okay if it's not uh, a, a, a movie theater, as long as it's a theater, as long as people can congregate there, you know, mm-hmm. there, there are a few of those here in LA that were, uh, that were movie theaters and became live venues. The Pantages being the most famous. I mean, it's where all the big live Broadway productions mm-hmm. and touring productions go in LA. They go to the Pantages. That was originally a movie theater. Yeah. So yeah, yeah man, that, that's fantastic. That's a great story. Yeah. I love that. I yeah. love that. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's lovely, lovely, lovely story. Um, so, uh, yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, good stuff. Very, very, uh, very, very happy to read all of that. We'll have, uh, you know, read, read a few more in the next uh, few weeks. Go ahead and email us if you want. Gods at digigods.com. Gods at cinegods.com. We do check those emails. Um, Tim, let's, let's get into some, uh, let's get into DVDs and Blu-rays. Um, Let's do it. I'll I'll uh, got a few things backlogged here that I should I should dig through uh, and just put on people's radar. Going to start with some uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory stuff. Uh, first one is Wes Craven, the late Wes Craven, um, yes. did a movie called Cursed, which never really got a ton of traction. Christina Ricci's in it, uh, along with a, a shockingly young Jesse Eisenberg. I forget how young he once was. Joshua Jackson, you know yeah, that whole kind of yeah. crowd from from that moment. But uh, written by Ken Williamson, not written by Wes, but but directed by Wes, and that's a that's a pretty good pairing. Um, so it's not I wouldn't call it one of the best Wes Craven things, but you know for for a moment, it, for that particular moment, kind of in the early aughts, the early two thousands, uh, it was it was a great collection of talent. It was all those young up and coming kids, you know, they're now teenagers. And yeah. It was Craven, it was Williamson. It was a little bit in the scream, in the scream moment, but uh, you know, uh, I, I, I like it. And and yeah, the the idea is, you know, there's a werewolf running around Los Angeles. Who cares? It's yeah. it's the MacGuffin. It's it's all you know. It could have been a vampire. It could have been any. It could have been any an alien. It didn't matter. But uh, I, I actually think this movie's got a lot of. It's got a lot of. Uh, it's got a lot worth rediscovering at this point in time. And the and the werewolf effects are really really cool. Well, um, Wes, let me just say about Wes, right? Because sometimes we forget what a fantastic uh, career Wes had. First of all, Wes was a professor uh, a bit before picking up the camera. I mean, he was always a filmmaker, but he was a professor. Uh, and that, that, like a whole life. So a lot of folks, you know, if you do that and you do that your whole life and you do it well, that's, that's, that, that's fine and dandy. So then Wes becomes this really sort of iconic, um, a filmmaker, uh, in the early seventies, uh, all of those films, right? And then yeah. Wes reinvents himself again in the nineties, uh, you know, in, in the early two thousands. Who would have thought that the scream films and, and everything that spun off from those films again, all the way back to Wes, he did that. Uh, and, 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 and he's still hanging around. This is 2005, Christina Ricci and all these guys. And he's, you know, doing sort of interesting things late, late, late into his career. So there's a whole lot, uh, that we, all the boys at Bloom, uh, uh, owe a whole lot to Wes Craven. I think they do. The, the, the whole yeah, Blumhouse, that, Blum. that whole operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they owe a whole lot to, what, to, to yeah. Wes Craven. So anyway, yeah, fantastic. Wes Craven, man. Yeah, it's a good deal. I mean, this was a, you know, a Miramax dimension thing. You're going to have to deal with Harvey Weinstein having his name on this, but it's, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> there are two, it's two, two discs, two different cuts, the theatrical cut, the, the unrated cut, which is a little bit, you know, more raw, beautiful transfer, behind the scenes, uh, stuff on the, on the makeup effects. And there's a great commentary from, um, the, uh, the, from Derek Mears, the actor and, uh, visual makeup effects supervisor, Greg Nicotero. Uh, 
a lot of, a lot of really that's on the on the uh, unrated cut. So I mean, it's it's worth rediscovering, especially for uh, Wes Craven fans. Yeah, we've got uh, David Bowie in Just a Gigolo, uh, also from Shout Factory. This is a very very strange blast from the past. Uh, this is a 1978 movie, uh, a period film with with Bowie playing something of a. Um, a playboy during World War One. He's like a mm. Prussian playboy during World War One, and it it's it, this is a kind of movie that they made predominantly in the seventies, and they they were usually German. Mm-hmm. This one is not, no. but they they deal with. Um, Usually they were made by Fossbender, to be honest, yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah, talking yeah. about the, yeah. the the decadence of a society in decline, which has you know survived through it's it has fought to survive, and now it finds itself in decline, and wondering what were we fighting for to begin with. It's it's that kind of a thing going on. Um, uh, although Marlena is, I think this is Marlena, Marlena Dietrich. It was her, her last, final role. Her, yeah, so there's yeah, yeah. it was her last yeah. role. That's that's right. It was her last role with David Bowie. There's a there's a bit of trivia. What was <laughs> you know uh, name name uh, name the actress who had her last role opposite David Bowie? Marlena Dietrich and David Bowie is not a pairing <laughs> I would ever normally think of. Yeah, right? First of all, how you how how you how are you going to tell them a di- tell the difference between them on the screen? Yeah. But anyway, that's 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 kind of yeah. Anyway, so uh, but yeah, it's 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 quite a pairing. It's quite an interesting film, uh, directed by David Hemmings of all people, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's it's uh, I mean it's dated. You know, it definitely looks like it's it's era, but it is it is what it is. It's it's uh, it's worth uh, also worth rediscovering. Uh, Jim Carrey's Liar Liar is uh, out oh, from wow. Shout Select. I I'm sorry, I still love this movie. I yeah. think this is just classic Jim Carrey. Um, it's. It, it's clearly it's the 25th anniversary edition. It's it, this movie is so clearly designed for Jim Carrey to just do his shtick. Yeah, but come on, yeah. it's fun, right? Oh yeah, that it's well, just you know what I love about that movie because it is everything you said. Uh, uh, you know that era, 1997, I think yeah. Jim Carrey. Um, uh, so yeah, this movie is funny as it is. It is insanely poignant. Yeah, it's a and it's a Tom, it's a Tom Shadyak movie. Yeah, you know? and yeah. insanely point. You very you know, and, you know this is before Tom dropped out and, and went on to do a, a whole bunch. Of, you know, him and Tom did a whole all yeah. that stuff. You get Ace and all that crap. But this is just an, an, an as opposed to Ace, which is not well, remotely poignant, or Dumb and Dumber, which is also not remotely poignant. Tim, Tim, this is the, poignant. Tim, there were a whole bunch of movies made around about the late '90s, and this is '97. There were a whole mm. bunch of them, and they all. I, I, I remember noticing this at the time. Liar, liar, uh, jingle all the way with mm-hmm. Arnold, mm-hmm. hook r- with Robin Williams, right? And and you can oh, go yeah. right down the line. There are a whole bunch of them, and all every one of these movies basically is the same story as Mary Poppins. They're all about dads who neglect their kids because of work, mm-hmm. and then through some event, whether it's the intercession of a supernatural Mary Poppins or a curse that makes you that, that, you know, uh, prevents you, that forces you to say the truth or, you know, <laughs> that, that whole, that all that, or, or, you know, you have your, you're a grown Peter Pan or whatever it is, you know, Arnold and Jingle all the way. I got to find my kid's toy. I've got Christmas Eve. And I missed out. Yeah, they're all about dads who are being punished for neglecting their kids and who have to learn the lesson. Your kids have to come first. All mm. these movies. Mm. It's, it's Mr. Banks. They're, they're mm. all Mr. Variations on Mr. Banks from Mary Poppins. And I couldn't help but think this is the catharsis for all of those agents and those executives and those producers (laughs) who are sitting there, you know, doing movie stuff at 6 p.m. 
and then realizing, crap, I just missed my daughter's ballet recital or, yeah. oh, I missed my son's hockey game or whatever it is. Yeah. And they feel guilty. So they make this movie so they don't feel guilty. Yeah. And they can take your kids to it. They can <laughs> so, take your kids to the premiere. Uh, uh, but in any case, uh, Liar Liar, lots of fun. Really, yeah. really a great movie. Uh, and I'm glad that it's on Blu-ray uh, from Shout. Got a lot of extras on it. You know, looking back stuff. There's a deleted scene and some outtakes. Chadiac does a lovely commentary that touches on a lot of this stuff. And, um, you know, it's not loaded with extras, but it's a good movie to have. It's a yeah. lot of fun to have. Love that movie. I uh, got a couple others here um, from the in the in the some some great Scream Factory ish stuff. So these are all collectors editions from Scream Factory. They are all movies you have probably never heard of, but if you <laughs> if you really want to if you really want to go down the rabbit hole, it's well worth discovering. Uh, the Vampire Lovers, Paranoiac, ooh, Night Creatures, and Nightmare. So um, these are all kind of classic, uh, hammery uh, things. The, the ones that are kind of early seventies, late sixties kind of business. Yeah, all kind of in that, in that, you know, that that those garish colors, especially in Vampire Lovers and Night Creatures. Uh, you know, that's those are the ones that really, really, uh, really, really light it up. Um, the, the both of these were Hammer films. And uh, these are the ones I want to just recommend the most. Vampire Lovers and uh, Night Creatures. A lot of fun. Tons and tons of extras on here. They're brand new scans. Uh, it's a 2K scan that they use as a basis for Night Creatures. 4K scan for, for Vampire Lovers. Uh, but you get all kinds of great film historian insight, on, uh, especially on Vampire Lovers, which is just, it's so beautifully shot. And it's such a cheesy film. And it's just got so much like, uh, it's just, I, you know, it's just, it feels so, um, dark shadows. <laughs> it just does. It's, it's night, it's night creatures to Peter Cushing. Yes. Because it, it had a different name. Uh, yeah. At some yeah point. No, it is. He, yeah. play, he plays a reverend in it. It's hilarious. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a little bit of an unusual turn for him. It's very, it's very, uh, um, uh, crucible. <laughs> it's very crucible. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. But uh, but that one also has a has a great uh has a great bunch of little uh, little extras. Fewer fewer than the others. Um the uh and then, you know, uh stick around and, and go with Paranoiac and Nightmare as well. Those are also really super fun. Yeah. Um Paranoiac really creeps me out. I gotta be honest, Paranoiac has one of the best the, the creepiest performances that Oliver Reed has ever put on film. And when and his Bill Sykes in Oliver creeped me out as a kid. Like he really scared the daylights out of me, but man, is he just, Ooh, he's just, <laughs> I don't know, man. He's just, he, he's, Ooh, it's one of those movies. Um, this is directed by Freddie Francis, also a hammer film. Uh, and Freddie Francis, of course would go on to, you know, he was, he was a great DP as well. He shot the, the Elephant oh, yeah. man. So, you know, has, has his particularly weird sensibilities all over this thing. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, this is an unusual kind of, uh, Kind of a hammer film. It's much more focused on uh, on psychological horror. It's much more of a slasher film, and uh, it's beautifully shot and really, really creepy. And uh, yeah, I I'd totally recommend it. Um, it's got a few extras on it. Only you know an audio commentary with the uh, film historian Bruce Hallenbeck and, mm. and like a featurette. And then uh, of course Nightmare, which is which is also a Freddie Francis film, beloved by people who um, follow the you know, the Freddie Francis hammer stuff, but largely forgotten. And and that's mm. because it doesn't have a, a hugely popular cast. It doesn't have, you know, um, Peter Cushing or any of the, any of the usual standbys, David Knight, uh, Moira Redman, Jenny Linden, 
that's yeah. that's your cast. Those people didn't really uh, last very long, but it's a it's a good, solid, tight little again kind of you know psychological horror thing. Um, you 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 know it's, it deals with uh, with mental illness, and it's you can tell it's kind of positioned in the uh, in the Hitchcock vein. It's sort of it's sort of in that psycho moment, so it's borrowing a little bit from from all of that, but. Yeah. Um, you know, asylums and mental illness, but it's really, really worth, uh, it, it's worth a look, uh, if you, if you want to go a little bit deeper into the canon, uh, the canon, the canon canon, or the, the hammer canon, <laughs> the hammer canon, what am I saying? The hammer canon. Uh, so, uh, that's, that's all fine. Um, let me hit the arrows and then we'll jump into something else. Yeah. Freddie, 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 um, I, what I, I interviewed Freddie on the, uh, he was the cinematographer on Cape Fear. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, that's I interviewed him. Uh, you're a junket, one of those junket yeah. interviews. Freddie Francis, that was a great. He, he was a cinematographer on a bunch, a bunch of really cool stuff. Uh, uh, but Cape Fear, uh, Glory, uh, but he was he was really cool. I, uh, he's a, he's a he's terrific director and teacher too. Yeah, great yeah. teacher. Yeah. 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 So a uh, very special edition from Arrow on Yokai Monsters came out some time ago. They have now that was like a gift set. So now the uh, they've released the regular version of it, uh, the Yokai Monsters collection, which everybody can afford. And it includes 100 Monsters, Spook, Warfare, uh, along with Ghosts, and the Great Yokai War. That's all on this three-disc set. Uh, basically, pretty much the same stuff in the previous one, just a more more conventional box set. Uh, you know, this is a... Uh, we, we, I think we talked about this the first time. Yeah. I mean, it's a... Uh, it's a trilogy of Japanese movies that are, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a genre thing. It's Japanese ghost stories and mysticism. And, uh, it has a following. If, mm. if you're not really, really into this stuff, you might want to just do a little bit of research. Cause it's, you know, like I love Quidon. I highly recommend Quidon as one of the mm. greatest films ever made. But again, Japanese ghost stories and mysticism, not everybody's, uh, kind well, of it's, it's very traditional Japanese monsters and spirits yeah. and stuff it's not you know uh, uh godzilla <laughs> so, yeah exactly um so we got two amazing box sets of claude chabrol movies from arrow oh. here absolutely phenomenal now um i am a claude chabrol nut i've done a, yeah. a g- g- gazillion uh, claude chabrol commentaries uh back when you know a bunch of them were released by a different company i sat in a booth with andy klein and fx feeney for like three states, <laughs> three straight days, just doing commentaries for those Claude Chabrol movies. Uh, I am sorry that those commentaries are somewhere in the ether now because I would love to attach some of them to uh, some of these. Yeah. Um, and I've done a few recently with Andy as well, uh, including for, you know, for, for Nightcap and The Color of Lies. Mm. And uh, our commentaries are not here because those were for, uh, for Cohen. Oh, yeah. So, so there are different commentaries here. I have to say, not as good as ours. <laughs> of course not. Not as good as ours, but they're fine. They're fine. It's okay. You know, Barry Forshaw does the, uh, and, and uh, Sean Hogan do the commentary on The Color of Lies. Not as good as ours, but it's fine. Um, they also do it on The Swindle. These are all things that Andy and I did recently. But uh, anyway, the, the two sets include The Swindle, Color of Lies, Nightcap, and The Flower of Evil on one set. And then the other one is uh, Cop au Vin. Oh. Uh, Inspector Lavardin. I also mm-hmm. did those two commentaries with Andy, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Madame Bovary, Betty, and uh, Torment, otherwise known as L'Enfer. I think I did that one with Andy, too. 
Mm. Man, I've done I've done so much Chabrol. I'm looking at this. I'm like, you know, Arrow, you you could have called. You could have just asked Cohen for their commentaries. Well, yeah, no, they, yeah, oh, yeah. Anyway. It's a competition. It is indeed. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. these are two great sets. Lies and Deceit uh, is the second one. Twisting the Knife is the other one. Uh, five films by Claude Chabrol. Four films by Claude Chabrol. Um, but Arrow has done a beautiful job. I, mm. I, I'm going to you know pick on them a little bit, and and I'm still recommending the Cohen versions of these. But my yeah, yeah. goodness, they really did get some wonderful, wonderful. Uh, stuff on here for example for capo vin uh they they found a uh claude chabrol at the bfi interview where he talks to uh ian christie for an hour all uh, at the national film theater in 1994 it's a wonderful wonderful discovery uh there's some stuff from swiss television um there are even some select scene commentaries that they edited together from some things that claude chabrol previously said um, it's, it's, it's very, very, uh, it's very, very smart. They've really gone to the well to, to do that criterion thing and get a lot of great extras in here. So, mm. um, bravo. There's, a, there's a wicket, um, from a couple of few years ago, uh, 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 doc on Chabral, Chabral, the anti, the anti-conformist, the anti-conformist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you remember the one. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I recommend that. I don't know if it's, it's gotta be out on DVD by now. I'm sure it is. I'm sure. But it, uh, yeah. Wonderful companion piece uh, for all that Chabral. You know, founder, one of the founders, him and Rivette of the New Wave. Absolutely. And then we've got, uh, and then we've got a few. Uh, we got a couple of, um, a couple of, you know, slashery things. Uh, one is Deadly Games, which is just a straight up vintage slasher film. Uh, don't don't really need to know much about Deadly Games, but it's out from Arrow. Mm-hmm. And then Girls Night Out, Night spelled N I T E, because they're having fun. <laughs> They're having so much fun. They got to spell it N I T E, uh, and that's also uh, another one of these. Um, you know, the girls go out for a night of fun, and then a lunatic tries yeah. to kill them, and yeah, yeah. and and you know, there you go. Uh, so it's this is just basic kind of uh, '80s era slasher stuff. It's a you know, it was a genre then. People like it. I'm not going to judge you. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one is uh, is a really really interesting uh, movie that I'm not overly familiar with. To sleep so as to dream. Uh, this is a Japanese uh, noir, I guess is the best way of doing it, and it was the debut film of Kaizu Hayashi. Um, it's mm. it's it's really. Um, it's like I, I'm trying to think of the best way to do this because there's a, there's a tradition in Japanese cinema that is very surreal. Mm-hmm. So they, J- Japan has a, sort of all the same genres that that Hollywood had, largely because of the influence of Hollywood. But then mm-hmm. it kind of puts its twist on them, right? It's a little bit of a spin. And, um, and since it's Japanese, it's going to be weird. It, exactly. And Which this uh, is and and it, it, this is very very weird. I mean the. The idea is that there, the I don't even know how to how to, how to outline the plot. There, the actress is trapped in a movie, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, and these detectives are looking for her. But when I say trapped in a movie, I mean she's literally trapped in celluloid. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's kind of a, a Sherlock Junior slash um, Last Action Hero. Slash, uh, what was the Woody Allen film? Oh, uh, uh, Yellow Rose, Purple Rose, yeah, Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah, yeah, right. So there's there's a little bit of that kind of a thing going on, and um, there's sort there's sort of no way to describe it unless you see it. You, yeah. you just you just have to you just have to watch it and realize that this is both an 
This is a tribute to to movies in general, but a tribute to old Japanese cinema and a tribute to noir all at the same time, and to surrealism and mysticism. Yeah, yeah. It it just it mixes up so many different things, and it's really it's really odd and unusual and kind of cool and fascinating at the yeah. same time. Well, this uh, that film, this film, the film you're talking about is from it's from the middle eighties, but it's from but, the eighties, but but, it, but yeah. it's set or the things that occur are from the silent Japanese film era. Yes, so it's a lot of silent Japanese. Anyway, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and it's got apparently a ton of cameos in it. Not that I would know many of them. I mean, I recognize a few people, but um, yeah, it's 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 worth it's a it's really worth a discovery and a ton of extras on here. So this is kind of you know Arrow throws a throws a hail mary every once in a while, just as Criterion does, and you gotta you gotta tip your hat to them. I mm. mean, they found a ton of interesting things to to put on here. Great commentary and interviews and featurettes and a thing called Fragments from Japan's Lost Silent Heyday, mm. which is all of these uh, amazing scenes from from silent uh, Japanese movies that you've never seen before. It's really interesting. So uh, check it out if you have a chance. To Sleep to- So As to Dream. Mm. kind of film that doesn't get made anymore, and, it, and even then it only got made in Japan. Mm. Um you know what, Tim? I'm, I'm going hit to a, hit a few uh, Warner Archive titles too before we uh, move on to other things because yeah, okay. uh, yeah. this will this will this will get us right back square with Warner Archive. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I'm going to Ju- bitch about some television. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Ju- it's Judy Garland's 100th yeah. anniversary. Judy Garland's yeah. 100th birthday just just came a uh, few days ago, so we got a lot of wonderful Judy Garland stuff here to talk about. Judy Garland, and Robert Walker in the Clock, a uh, really sweet MGM movie from uh, 1945. It's right at the end of the war, so this is kind of a, you know, a a, a one of those rah rah movies. And Robert Walker's, of course, you know, he's he's representing the everyman who is uh, he's a GI. He's on yeah. a two day pass. Yeah. And who does he fall in love with? Judy yeah. Garland. Yeah, but he's on a clock. It's great. It's a great it's movie. Beautiful. It's yeah, it's fun. beautiful. Uh, then you got Zigfield Girl. With Jimmy Stewart and Judy Garland, um, and Hedy Lamar and Lana Turner. There's a, there's a, I mean, gosh, what a, what an unbelievable bunch of talent. That's just tremendous. I, I almost want to scream. Directed by Robert Z. Leonard. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's your, it's your standard 1940s wartime escapism. And it's got Judy Garland and Jimmy Stewart. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to tell you anything else. I mean, Hedy Lamar and Lana Turner are, are just along for the ride. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like there's too much talent in this movie for 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 anybody. Um, but uh, wonderful Busby Berkeley musical numbers in it. And uh, speaking of Busby Berkeley and Judy Garland, who had a very tempestuous relationship, mm. there is for me and my gal another wartime rah uh, uh, rah movie. This was uh, set during World War One. It's a true story of a, uh, a a husband and wife vaudevillian couple and their very tempestuous relationship and the things that transpired in World War One. Uh, you know, they, they, they're, they're together, they're not together, they're together, they're not together. And he, you know, becomes, a, he's a coward. And then he has to go to war and prove that he's not a coward. It's a whole thing. It's all set in the world of vaudeville during World War One. Judy Garland is tremendous. A, a, a Gene Kelly in his very, very first film. Yeah. Directed by Busby Berkeley, who oddly enough did not do the musical numbers. He just directed mm. it, but didn't do the musical numbers. Um, but this may be the best film Busby Berkeley ever directed. It's certainly the, it, it shows Gene Kelly as the star he will become. He is unreal. And Judy Garland is keeping up with him in the dance numbers. That yeah. tells you something too. Young Judy. Absolutely tremendous. Hedy uh, Love talking about Hetty. Hetty was a genius. I have to say oh. that every time her name is mentioned, I have to point out that Hetty Lamar is an actual genius, bona fide genius. Uh, radar, radar. 
Hedy Lamar is Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. Thank you. Yes. The complications on Hedy Lamar. She is. That's Hedy. Thank I Hedy. wouldn't be. I wouldn't be connected to talk to you right now if not right for now. Hedy. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah, connected yeah. through Wi-Fi. Yeah. And then the last three here, uh, Robert Taylor, Sid Charisse, and Lee J. Cobb, wondering what he is doing in a movie with Robert Taylor and Sid Charisse uh, in Party Girl, uh, an MGM film that uh, is kind of MGM in transition, I think might be uh, a way of putting it. Uh, this is directed by Nicholas Ray. Um, this is a 1950s era musical yeah. set in 1930s Chicago. Uh, it's, you know... Uh, it, it's not the same musical that they were making. It's a little bit gaudier and more garish. It's the mm. 1950s. The studio chiefs are heading in a different direction. They're going, they're moving on, they're retiring. Things are going corporate. So, and Nicholas Ray is not exactly a, you know, musical director. He did Rebel yeah. Without a Cause. Yeah. But, um, and, uh, and had a rather <laughs> interesting private life. You yeah. Can, you can, you can Google that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, it's musical. It's mobsters. It's, uh, Sid Charisse being sexy. And, yeah. uh, I enjoy it. Uh, but it's a little bit different. It's MGM in transition for sure. Still really, really worth checking out. Uh, James Cagney and Captains of the Clouds. Uh, pretty fantastic, uh, uh, rah-rah movie as long as we're talking about them. Another, again, wartime 1942. James Cagney doing his part to inspire everybody for the war effort. Yeah. And, uh, beautiful, beautiful technicolor photography, which was not all that common in 1941. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, Alan Hale's in it and it's got some, you know, got some fun moments. I mean, it's otherwise, it's you know, Michael Curtiz directed, I think. Yeah. Was it the same year as Casablanca? Frank them out at the same what, what, time. Uh, maybe 42? Like, like, yeah, maybe the year before. I think this is yeah, the year so, before Casablanca. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Michael Curtis, those guys had no idea if they were cranking out crap or a masterpiece. No. Like, studio hands him a script, shoot this. Here, yeah. Here's, here's Humphrey and go, go do something. I, make him fast. Make him. And then we have The Wonderful World of Brothers Grimm, uh, The Wonderful World of The Brothers Grimm, mm. which was a, uh, a George Powell production in Cinerama for MGM. It was, it, there's a letterbox version and a smile box version. Letterbox yeah. version is on disc one. Smile box is on disc two. Um, it, it, I, I'm not going to get into the technological aspects of what constitutes the difference, but, uh, this is a, um, this is an unusual movie. Uh, it's trying to sort of, uh, move in on the, on the Disney, um, uh, the thing that Disney had done with, mm. uh, with, with, uh, animation and, um, uh, fairy tales and all that mm. stuff. Now this is live. This is live action and animation mm. here. Mm -hmm. You you get uh, a lot of live action actors. You get some really interesting uh, stop motion animation, kind of in that Rankin Bassey way. Oddly enough, we spoke about Hammer earlier. This feels like a Hammer horror film in some regards. Mm, um, yeah. but, I'm looking at the trailer right now, and folks should go yeah. look at the trailer it, because it, you see that odd framing right, because of the technology, yeah. that sort of concave or yeah. a convex sort of thing that happens when it's projected on a floor. So it was meant to be projected in a very particular yes. way. Yes. And yeah, so so it's going to look weird, <laughs> That's, I think. Yeah. It's going to look weird. You, you, it's gonna, it basically is going to turn its your television into a curved screen. Yes. It's going to yes. warp it a little bit because that's the only way that it will not look distorted. It was designed to be seen on a big, big, anyway, it, it, you'll understand when you yeah. see it. Otherwise um, everybody would look short and fat this way. All the, the, the yeah, yeah, man, they, they, George, Powell, this may be the most impressive cast George Powell ever pulled together. I mean, yeah. Mignon, Russ Tamlin and Buddy Hackett, Terry Thomas and 
Jim Backus and they, they Barbara, you know, Barbara Eden, Barbara Eden, Eden even yeah. shows up. They, they just load this thing. Lawrence Harvey, they're all, they load this up with people. And um, it's, a, it's an unusual movie. Uh, you know, it's, it's from that legendary year of 1962, Lawrence mm. of Arabia and all the rest. It is not Lawrence of Arabia. Don't expect that. But um, interesting two disc, uh, two disc edition here, uh, a really a special release from uh, the Warner archives. Mm. All right, uh, let's move on to uh, television. Tim, you want to unleash hell? Well, I, I, I don't know why I say that. I just get buggy. Every time I, I, I see this MacGyver, I think we have the, the, the uh, complete, what is it? Is it the complete run of MacGyver? This, uh, is, the, this is the complete five-year new MacGyver yeah, run. Yeah, the new MacGyver, of course. The, new, the, new, MacGyver. the new MacGyver was, has run for five years? I 20, feel like, 20, didn't they just announce this? It's, 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 and that's what drives me crazy. First of all, I only ever got through two episodes of this MacGyver. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it because I have this, you know, deep uh, affection for uh, 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 Richard Dean Anderson. And, you know, my, my, the original MacGyver, that's my guy. You know, I, I love that guy. I love that show. Uh, and and that, that show is on all the time, by the way. If you turn on regular over there broadcast television anytime during any, any day, uh, you got that original MacGyver, which is still a great show. So I, I, I could not commit to this. It blows me away. But this show uh, has been on for five seasons. But there it is, <laughs> right there with this kid. Uh, what's his name? Lucas Till, I think it is. Yeah, yeah Lu- Lucas Till. Yeah. Playing my character MacGyver, which drives me nuts. You know, you know, um, uh, 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 Richard Dean Anderson. Yeah, okay, that's Richard Dean. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, uh, I think I did the math. He's seventy-five. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because you know, I mean, after that, that great run, he was you know, in that Stargate series for seventy-five is the new twenty-five. Seventy-five is the new twenty-five. He's still kicking. Yeah. Anyway, this series here, they put out the whole damn thing. Uh, any anything interesting with it? That uh, yeah, no, not really, no. not really. Uh, I just, I, I, what I hate is that they they talk about the follow the thrilling adventures of twenty-something Angus Mac MacGyver. You have to tell us he's twenty something because yeah. what people because people in their twenties won't watch somebody who's 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 old ass thirty five. Yeah, because the Come other on. MacGyver was the other MacGyver was in his thirties for <laughs> sure. Yeah, and it wasn't a they, problem. They want us to think this is a kid. Hey, if you're tw- if you're in your twenties, you can be clever too. It's so pandering. <gasps> uh, anyway, I got a got a call here from the uh, History Channel. Mm-hmm. Great Escapes with Morgan Freeman, oh, yeah. season one. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. Um, first of all, Morgan Freeman understands now that that he does not have to leave his house in Mississippi and come to Hollywood for months on end and, and learn lines. No, no, no. he can just produce and host from home Mm -hmm. and stay in Mississippi and enjoy his retirement (gasps) and still get paid a lot of money for um, a show that basically does recreations of great prison escape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's actually really interesting. It really is. It's fascinating. I mean, you, you realize some of these almost, I almost feel guilty like rooting for some of the prisoners (laughs) because there's a, there's a point with some of these, they're so clever. I'm like, you know what, dude, that was, that was pretty brilliant. You kind of, I almost feel like letting you get a, get away with that one. Like yeah. if you can pull that off, you're, you're free. You're free. I'll tell you this. It, it depends on what they did to get themselves put in prison. Yeah. Generally speaking, <laughs> generally speaking I, I root for bank robbers. If you can, Hey, I don't really mind bank robbers. If you didn't kill yeah. anybody, you robbed the bank, you got caught. If you could, if you could pull off a prison break, I'm, who's that guy who jumped out of the airplane in the seventies? 
uh, with oh, the money. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, 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 that guy. That dude, I'm still hoping that guy's around someplace. I just, I don't know, whatever. Just DB Cooper. DB Cooper, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you could pull off a, uh, you know, a, um, a, a gunless bank robbery and then escape from prison, any of those things never bother me. I have no idea yeah. why, but they don't. Uh, so good for them. And then, um, we, and then we also have two seasons of The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. That's a, which is so nutty that that's a Ken Burns thing. I know, isn't it? Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it's, I just, it's, you know, Ken Burns and UFOs. I know. No. I know. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> These things don't go together. <laughs> but there they are. But there they are. And, uh, you know, that whole Skinwalker Ranch thing is uh, really creepy. I mean, it, it may be UFOs, might also be ghosts. Yes, but all of that in Ken yeah. Burns. Because now I'm looking at baseball, I got a whole different feeling about it. Or, yeah. you know, or the Civil War or whatever. I'm yeah. Like, yeah, yeah okay. I know. I know. But it's, but it's a mystery. Legitimately, the whole Skinwalker Ranch story, if you don't know it, it's worth watching it's crazy and creepy as hell it is nuts it's it is neither ghosts nor ufos but yeah. whatever go ahead <laughs> so dude uh season one la brea on on blu-ray um <laughs> all right take that it. was just terrible just deeply bad <laughs> stupid giant hole in the middle of our city la by the Brea dart bits and in the hole there's this whole other universe world with with these really terrible cgi not dinosaurs like the like not a single creature that they create actually represents an actual dinosaur that ever existed. It's worse than those Jurassic Park movies, which is another one out this week making all the fucking money. Uh, God, why won't they die? Anyway, whatever. I'm sorry. I'll say this about La Brea. Here's what compels me about La Brea. I would love to have been in the room when that was pitched. (laughs) Just want to say that. What? This is why I'm like, I would just be a terrible executive. Uh, because I would just ixnay so many, and this show's going to get renewed, and it's going to have another season, and yeah. everybody's going to get paid. And I would have been like, "This is retarded. Get out of my office." So on on DVD, we're already onto a second season, uh, still yeah. with Paramount and CBS, CBS Studios of uh, Why Women Kill, uh, which I totally missed, mm. and and I, then I and then this came, and I realized, oh, it's Mark Cherry. Yeah. Oh, he's 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 doing a he's doing a desperate housewives thing again. He's still kind of in that mode uh, a little bit, and uh, you know, except now it's set in the 1940s, so that everything yeah. feels a little bit more lascivious. But I don't know. I think this is kind of cheeky and and clever and and fun. Yeah, uh, like Lucy Liu walking around this series. I think it's you know, yeah. Yeah, why women kill season two? So uh, I, I'm surprised it hasn't gotten a little bit more traction. I'm surprised I didn't know about it because I love Desperate Housewives, but yeah, we're in a different yeah. world now. It's streaming, not network. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. We got uh, the Harper. Did you ever watch the Harper House? Uh that the, the animated, animated. The, yeah, 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 animated yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, from Paramount Plus. Yeah, that was kind of funny. Um, uh, uh, with the chick, fat in Arkansas or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really funny. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's a it, it feels a little um, King of the Hillish, mm-hmm. little bit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sort of like you know a little bit more grown up, more grown up than King of the Hill, but but you know kind of taking uh, taking a little bit of the steam out of uh, out of a certain archetypal Americana. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, sell, we'll sell like mom at the head of the you do, you do all kind of stuff from Jason Lee. Ah, anyway, yeah. that's what's and, and and the Harper House of the title is a is this you know house that they've inherited and they have to fix it up. But um, yeah, I mean, you know the the idea of looking at class division, wrong side of the town, right side of the town, and a little bit of a little town in Arkansas. 
kind of an unusual thing for an animated show to do. But, um, you know, it didn't last long. I mean, how many episodes of this thing were there? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, like four or five episodes, I think, only. But it's, uh, you know, it was, it, it was risky. I mean... I'm glad they put it out on DVD so people can rediscover it because I don't think anybody saw it the first time around. I sure didn't. Well, I do know the great voices. Uh, 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 the chick from um, uh, uh, Tatiana Maslany or whatever. Yeah, she's yeah. Uh, Jason Lee. Uh, uh, but you know, I don't know. It's one of those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, what other ones here, Tim? Are you uh, looking at? You looking at anything in particular you want to scream about? Uh, evil. Um, yeah. Is, okay. is, is, and, and there's a new season uh, from from Robert and Michelle. King. There's a new season running now. This series is interesting. It started in 2019 and kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of made, uh, bounced around. It's coming out. I think it's Paramount, Paramount Plus now. Yeah. It was just a straight up network thing when it first started. I think maybe ABC. Um, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and, and now it's, it's, you know, so I started watching this series. It's good. Uh, in terms of Mike Coulter and, 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 uh, and, and Katya Herbers. And I think, so it's really sort of interesting cat. He's just like, um, uh, at the beginning of it anyway, he's sort of a, a pre, a, a, um, uh, what do they call a, a priest who's not quite a priest yet, an initiate or something like that? Or maybe those are, uh, yeah, yeah, initiate, uh, initiate, uh, initiate uh, I guess. And, and, and he's yeah. working on this whole thing and, and, and she's a psychologist and, 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 and Asif is this a skeptic tech guy and there's weird things going on. And he's called in to see whether it might be something actually malevolent. And she's there to sort of psychologically break all of that down and, and all this kind of stuff. And we sort of work our way through the series. It's really, really, really good. It's, it, it, and, but this third season that we're into, what I always liked about it is that it, it, it didn't allow um, any one of these positions to ever get much of a, a grip on things, you know, is it a curse? Is it the devil? If the ve- every, the very moment you, you would say, Oh yes, it's definitely a curse. It's definitely the devil. They would pull the rug out from under it. Uh, and then the, yeah, the like moment, you, yeah, like the that. moment you were like, Oh no, uh, it's just, it's just mind game. Then they would, and I was, that's very, very, very clever. It's less clever now, but back, what are we looking at, uh, in that set right there? Season. Um, season two, uh, season two. Uh, uh, so one and two, I would definitely stick with it. It's kind of neat. I kind of dig this show. So Tim, uh, billions season six. Yeah. So yeah. Damien, Damien Lewis has checked out. He's like, you know what? Uh, it's the same story for five seasons. I can, I can only, I can only sustain, <laughs> I can only sustain that repetition for five seasons. So yeah. good luck, Corey and Corey Stoll steps in and yeah. it's kind of starting all over again. Does it work though, or does it feel like we're just rebooting the show after five seasons with a different actor? I, that's you look. Know, I feel like I'm in the same. Well, I like Corey a lot, but I the, love Corey. Uh, yeah, but I feel like I'm in the same well. Um, uh, you know, and uh, and we're just gonna do this all again. But I feel that way about a whole bunch of things. Um, uh, you know, I kind of put this in the same category with uh, Succession. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which everyone else loves. Why yeah. do I not love that show? Well, I'm with I'm with you. That I appreciated it, you know. And and then I'm like, okay, yeah, but you know, I get it. Messed up family. They're gonna keep doing this thing. And but then again, you and I are of the Dallas and Dynasty and yeah. Falcon Crest era. Um. Uh, so you know, this this is I, not. A, see, I think yeah. I think something happened with the wire when 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 it was a, when it was permitted when it was considered socially acceptable for people to say. The Wire is the greatest television series that has ever been made, and 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 I was going really, yeah. I, I mean, it's good, but you know, I'm sorry, but like Hill Street Blues, yeah, 
yeah, and like, China on, Beach and Star on, Trek man. and Bonanza yeah. and I Love Lucy. And even, even, even if we even if we just stay in the pocket of 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 that genre, I can name five. Homicide, homicide, life on the street. You, you know, know, I mean, I can I can go pretty deep on a lot yeah. of shows that do the same thing. I yeah. mean, yeah, it's fine. It's got its thing. But, but but like the greatest of all time. Come on. No, not yet. Not even in that genre is it the greatest of all time. Whatever. Dude, I need you to explain to me. I'm not judging it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. But the 11th season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Now, talking about billions running thin after five years, I, I get it. But Larry David, so he, Larry David already gave us, what, 14, 15 seasons of Seinfeld with Jerry basically as right. his surrogate. Yeah, Just yeah. His, all of his idiosyncratic eccentricities and his shtick and the on and on and on and on. And then in addition to him using Jerry as his surrogate, now he uses himself as his surrogate for 11 <laughs> seasons of this. I don't know how much more of Larry David's anxieties I can take. Well, I, look, I tapped on this. And I love, how do we get to a look? I, I could have swore Curb started in 2000, the original Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know, yeah. I, I, I thought, of, how do we get to 11? Did it, did it stop here? Anyway, uh, it's, it's, there you go, man. I Look, I tapped out a while ago. Uh, uh, because again, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it's okay. I get it. I get it. It's interesting. It's fun. They, they have, you know, John Hamm, I think is running around, uh, these later seasons. So you, there's always that thing that's going on, you know, who's going to pop up, who's going to show up. Yeah, I get it. I mean, Ted Danson and, you know, Richard Lewis, I, I, I get it. It's fine, but, but yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's, it, it's just, there's, you gotta go somewhere. I forget it. Um, so speaking of succession, yeah. let's just, let's just pull succession right out of the, yeah. right out of the, the thing here and talk about it. Well, this. like I said, it's the same thing there for me and I get it. People really People love this show. People are calling this the, and good for HBO. I mean, this is the third season here. Uh, television's best show. It's right there on the, on the cover of this thing. IndieWire, television's best show. Okay. Look, I love Brian Cox. I mm. think Brian Cox absolutely is, is a treasure. He's a treasure to Hollywood, to Scotland, to, uh, every association he can, he can come up with. Um, and I, I love Jeremy strong. I think mm. he is absolutely great too, but, uh, is it that great of a show mm. or is uh, it, or is it just billions on a, on a, you know, it's just another, another thing of billions where we're kind of letting actors do the same thing season after season. I, why well, it's definitely that for me. And again, uh, uh, appreciated it, uh, in 2018 <laughs> when it, when it's sort of in, and, but after that, it, it you know, I'm like, uh, been there. And again, uh, dude, I go way back, you know, I, you, you know, yeah, none of these, you know, I love Brian. He's no J.R. Ewing. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. if, if you go back that deep, love him. he's True. no, who was uh, Joan Collins, Collins, Alexis Carrington. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, but a good show, fun show. These, you know, this show is, 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 is you know, it's tongue in cheek. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, but I don't know, yeah. but if, if in, in, in the vein of, 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 of the, of the business, I'm like, this is, this is, this is one joke and it's, it's about being funny a while, a while ago. How do we feel about the center? This is a, you know, Jessica Beale produced this and it's, it's, it's completed its run. It's a complete season now on Blu-ray. Um, Bill Pullman kind mm. of, you know, doing, being basically true detective with Bill Pullman. Uh, is kind of how I see it. What's what? How did you feel about this? Yeah, it's an anthology series. Uh, so it's, it's you know sort of like bit by bit. Uh, some of it, some of it, I thought was pretty damn good. Love Bill Pullman though. Yeah, uh, uh, can't get enough of Bill Pullman. Um, 
it, it, and, and you know, he's sort of grown into this, into this sort of sort of piece, sort of story. And there's some good performances, sort of like down the line in this, you know, including Jessica, uh, Harry Coon, uh, uh, Francis Fisher, a lot of folks all over this thing. Because because of my wife, I can't quite take Bill Pullman as seriously as I would like to. Now, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. And, and and it's not, you know, she worked on uh, Lost Highway, which I think he's terrific in, by oh, the way, yeah, David, yeah. David Lynch's Lost Highway. But but it's because my wife is also a huge fan of Ruthless People. Oh. And and he has that, that yeah. great line in there where he says, you know, can't wait for us to get to Haiti. To Haiti? <laughs> Tahiti, you idiot. It's greatest, greatest line. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was mentioning the History Channel stuff, sorry, I forgot one. History's Greatest Mysteries, season one oh. and two. So uh, Lawrence Fishburne has also learned the, the, the same lesson, which is that he can, he can have a good time just hosting shows. Uh, he's not producer of this one. He's just a host and narrator of, uh, of History's Greatest Mysteries. It's not great escapes, but a lot, lot of really fun stuff in here, too. Um, buried treasure and, you know, various things and what, why did, it's, you know what it basically is? It's Leonard Nimoy doing, uh, in search of. Oh, yes. Except yes. that's what, it, yeah, that's what it is. It's Leonard Nimoy doing in search of, except we now get Lawrence Fishburne with that, that velvety voice of his instead of, uh, uh, Leonard Nimoy's very officious and velvety voice. But, um, what's interesting is that they, they really bring in the experts here. They don't, they don't do the sensational thing. And, you well, know, yeah, they're not doing recreations like the Morgan Freeman. No, they're not yeah. saying like it was ghosts. Yeah. Here's a recreate. <laughs> here's a recreation of what the poltergeist looked like when it pulled the man's pants down. No, yeah. no, there's none of that stuff. None of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, you know, I'm not, Real, real quickly, there's a, there's a Hallmark Channel original movie here. It's on Blu-ray, The Wedding Veil. I'm oh. not going to say that this is anything great or anything. It's just one of those Hallmark things. It's, it, But there's a place for this, and people like that, and it's yeah. it's inoffensive and schmaltzy, and it was made by Canadians. And, you know, you got to got, <laughs> got, got, they, they, they need to get, catch a break now. And again, Lacey Chabert stars. Uh, I've always been a fan of Lacey Chabert. Um She's she's you know um, aged very well. She's uh, she's she's continuing to work. She was great as a kid actress. She's now an adult. She's you know she's a certain she has a certain she brings a certain warmth to her performances and to the movies. And uh, look, this is about um, this is this is kind of a mystical thing. The story is about an antique. And uh, how it impacts the love lives or perhaps the love life of one person, a mystical mm. antique yeah. of these college friends who are, you know, looking for looking for love. And the wedding veil tells you the title tells you exactly what's going to happen. Uh, the only question is to whom and how. And, uh, yeah. you know, it gets it gets, there's a little bit of a detective angle to it that gets a little cheesy, but it's cute and sweet and it has a place. Uh, Tim, anything else popping out at you here? Are we, are we, uh, Young Rock, uh, have you, have you oh, watched yeah. any, 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 any Young Rock? So you got like, you know. I have. Three actors, I guess it's three. If you don't count the actual Rock, it would be five. Uh, cause you, you, and so, you know, 1984 and 1987 and 1996 rocks. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm going to say young rock is, uh, I was, I was a little skeptical at first. I, I thought, okay, this is, this is just taking vanity to a whole new level. Like, dude, like you're not wealthy enough, <gasps> but you know what? It's really fun and funny. Yeah. It's really clever. 
It's got, I mean, it's, it really is. I'm like, okay, I give you props. You, you're, you, 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 you spit gold. You really do. Like, well, for one thing, it's, 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 he is extremely self deprecating. That's the key. Uh, uh, right? Yo, yo, rock key. all these, you know, and, and he's, he's in, in, in these actors who play him in the, in, in these various different years, they just nail him. Yeah. You know, because they're all doing him. You know, doing the, you know, the old rock and, and, and they just nail him and, and he's in and he lets them make him look goofy. Yeah. Uh, because he's not <laughs> full of himself. He's not, uh, um, he does, he has no hubris. Only in the ring does he play that role, but every place else in his life, he's just this goofball. <laughs> and this is why, this is why I'm like, you know what? It's original. Yes. It's, yeah. it's about him. But it's original, and I would rather have this than that reboot. No offense to Don Cheadle, but I'd rather have this than the reboot of The Wonder Years. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like this goes somewhere I haven't been before. Exactly, exactly. As opposed to, it's funny, I feel the exact same way about the, that new Wonder Years, which, you know, there it is. Uh, 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 but I'm like, you know what? I've seen the show already. And yeah. just because you take it and you dip it in chocolate doesn't mean I haven't seen this show already. <laughs> <laughs> you can't trick me, man. <laughs> Whereas this show here, it, 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 this is a kid that I would have known in 1984, 87. Yeah. And then he became uh, this guy. And, uh, and I like that. It's just really kind of cool. So uh, the good fight, I, I have oh, not yeah. uh, overly followed, but this is a pretty great show. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Kings I mean, again, Michelle and Robert and, I mean, it's really, it's really, uh, well, I, uh, and I was wondering, whatever happened to Wayne Brady? Uh, well, this is what happened to Wayne Brady. <laughs> the guy, the guy keeps working. Uh, he really does. Uh, and he's terrific. He's yeah. just, uh, you know, so, I mean, really interesting cast. Um, Christine Baranski and, you know, Wanda Sykes and, and, and Mandy Patinkin. And, you know, there's a, there's a really, really sharp cast put together here. And uh, I, I think it's also a very, very well-written show. Yeah, I yeah, think it's yeah, a very yeah. well written show. So uh, you know, it centers around a law firm. Uh, Audrey, Audrey McDonald is uh, is is you know the uh, one of the one of the kind of one of the big kingpins, one of the big legal kingpins here. It's um, I mean, it's a legal show. It's definitely a law show. Um, I, I like the fact that it's a primarily black law firm, mm-hmm. but it's but it but yeah, that's not what it's ab- it's that's not no. what it's about. No. It doesn't sort of wear that too heavily on its sleeve. It just no. gives you really great. It's a great legal show, sharp legal show. Um, also from um, Paramount and CBS is the Great with Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt. Uh, <laughs> took me. Took me a minute to kind of figure out what was going on here. Did you? Did you watch any of this? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit, it's a little, little bit of history there. They, I mean, they, 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 they mess with the history. Yeah, they mess uh, with it's the, Catherine the Great, the, the yeah. Tsarina of, of of Russia, the famous Tsarina of Russia that Putin thinks he's a reincarnate. Oh no, that's <laughs> Peter the Great. Never mind. I'd rather he be Catherine the Great. Anyway, yeah, well, carry yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah, but but anyway, they they diddle dabble around with the history a little bit, but it is kind of interesting, uh, particularly when they get into some of the brutal stuff because there was a war, you know, the I think it was, was, was they, yeah. they had war with the, the, the Swedes or the Swiss or whoever it was. One it's of just, them, and it was just, and it's and it's extremely because we forget about those that era, that era, and uh, it was a brutal era. With all of these uh, uh, kingdoms, most of whom were literally related. A lot of these people were like actually related, like yeah. second and third and if not first cousins. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, yet here we are still. And it sort of, and that all carries over into stuff that happens during World War One, which carries over to stuff that happens during World War Two, which kind of is carrying over into stuff that's going on right now. 
<laughs> if, if you if you if you really follow the thread, it really, really does. It absolutely does. Um, some fun deleted scenes and bloopers here as well. But on balance, uh, Elle Fanning, it, not exactly my casting for Catherine the Great. But, uh, you know, like I, I like the, the HBO thing with uh, Helen Mirren. Nah. That's much more my speed. But uh, this is season two. And uh, it, it, you know, it makes it sexy. It makes it interesting. It's kind of taking a Tudor's approach to it. But why mm. not? Why mm. not? Why not do that? Ray Donovan, the movie. I don't know, Tim. I kind of, uh, the show worked for me. I didn't need the movie, but mm. you tell me. Dang, well, same, uh, uh, here. Uh, I didn't, didn't, didn't need that, didn't need that movie, but it's okay. I was, wasn't that big of a fan of Ray Donovan, uh, in the first place. Liked it. Prefer something. Oh, I don't know. Uh, what was the other show that was set in LA and maybe Bosch? Yeah, uh, uh, we, you know, there's more of a Bosch fan than a, than a Ray Donovan fan, but some people love their Ray Donovan. Well, yeah, I'll, up, I'll up all I, night. That's what was that a sitcom? Uh, 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 with Christina night. Applegate and, uh, and 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 Will Arnett and Myra. That was that was kind of funny. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, that series. Uh, uh, totally uh, forgot about that. It's yeah, on wait, Blu-ray. That's yeah, on Blu-ray. I, mean, I don't. I don't know how long it lasted, but it was kind of funny. I kind of dug that series. I, but I'm a big Will Arnett fan. He always cracks me up in Myra. Yeah, Will Arnett. Where, where, wasn't he? Isn't he a game show host now? Is that what he's doing? Yeah, everybody's a game show host now. Everybody, I know it's good. <laughs> so, good. It's good work, right? It's you don't have to learn. You just have to work with the public. <sighs> no, this is. Uh, yeah, yeah. This this is this is an okay show. Um, it's you know it's it's about parenting, and I've got my own feelings about that. Having gone now through nine years of it, it's uh, mm. not something I necessarily. It, I guess it can be cathartic on a certain level, but uh, yeah, this was you know this is Lorne Michaels trying to you know get one more show under his belt so anyway that's there the complete series it didn't last long but that's wow. out there from uh, mill creek on blu-ray uh the you know the mallorca let's mention the mallorca really quickly this is a bbc show got a couple of bbc shows here well actually got- oh yeah, yeah let, me, let, me, let, me, let me let me let me let me let me let's let's knock out the bbc shows because they're they're all kind of of a of a of a piece um the uh the mallorca files series two this is if you if you if you didn't see this the first series it's okay you can uh you can dip in with this one so it's a detective show as you might mm. imagine set in Mallorca mm. and that's why you're watching it because it's uh, it's great British uh, detective stuff just against an absolutely beautiful exotic background Mallorca is freaking gorgeous yeah. and um yeah there's you know there's a there's some interesting uh there's some interesting Spanish history that sort of plays a part in this, but otherwise it's a, it's a just, it's a couple of beautiful people in Mallorca solving crimes. Yeah. It's, could, it's, it's a British detective and a German detective. Yeah. Solving crimes, crimes on the Spanish island of Mallorca. And I'm like, you know what? Tim, you, you just wanted to shoot Mallorca. It's fine. Knock yourself I out. Didn't, they didn't, it doesn't need to make sense. It just needs to be pretty and beautiful. <laughs> it actually is exactly what it is. It's very, very pretty. Not a single storyline makes any sense whatsoever. Who cares? Uh, well, what does make sense is a uh, time, which is, oh, which yeah. is really, really great. Uh, Sean Bean has just aged into this part beautifully. He stars along with um, uh, Stephen Graham. And uh, it, this is a, this is a, Man, Sean Bean is really aged. I mean, but but beautifully, yeah. right? Like yeah, he's got yeah. lines in his face, and it's uh, it's really really intense. No, this is a um, works for this great beautifully. Yeah, he basically this is the 
this is this is all about guilt and redemption and penance and um you know it, stuff that you don't normally get in in cop shows or crime shows and it's it's pretty pretty intense um it's about a guy who oh, i don't want to give it give give it away here he's he is he's responsible for a horrible thing happening mm-hmm. and the guilt is absolutely tearing him apart and um the residual impact of that comes back to haunt him. I'm yeah. trying to be as circuitous as I can. And um, the result of this, it takes, take, taking, we're, now we're inside a prison. Yeah. It, how am I doing? Well, well, somebody, somebody knows, somebody knows, somebody knows. And, uh, and, um, you know, somebody knows the truth. Yeah. It's one of those things. I got a secret. It's a horrible secret. And somebody knows the truth. And that's the worst possible person who could know the truth. And about, (laughs) and about, and about every, about every 15 minutes, it shifts. Yeah. And the sands of, of who's trustworthy and who isn't, it's, it's really, it's very, very sharp. So, um, you're, you're watching it basically just to watch these two actors just knock out of the park. Um, McDonald and Dodds. No, uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's more detective work. It's, you know, solving, solving crimes. Um, but it's an interesting duo and you're watching it basically for a couple of really, really fine actors. This is BBC and ITV studios. ITV, of course, the, uh, studios responsible for uh, Downton Abbey who've made a killing on it. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know what else to tell you. It's, uh, it's just, uh, it's fun, sophisticated British detective work. Yeah, uh, with a and couple funny. of wonderful actors and, and funny. funny. Yeah, and then the first team uh, is the last one here. Talk about uh, uh, Will Arnett. This is um, this is Will Arnett uh, trying to do what's the um, uh, what's the uh, Jason Sudeikis soccer thing on Apple? Oh, uh, uh, Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Okay, so there's kind of a Ted Lasso equality to this, and. Uh, I haven't really bit into the Ted Lasso thing like a lot of people have, but um, you know he coaches soccer. I get it. I, I I know people who just adore that show and they can't get enough of it. I do. I do. I do like Ted Lasso. This I haven't seen, uh, but it, it'd be interesting if it's in the sort of same space. Yeah, it's a little bit of the same space. Uh, it, it you know it basically um, it, Will Arnett plays the. Um, he, he's an American in a European in, in a European world, yeah. and it all takes place around soccer. And um, you know, I mean, it's it's funny, um, but it's wry funny. It's not like gut busting funny. And I think it's very clever. And I think it's going to be interesting to see um, if they can uh, if they can turn this thing into kind of an ongoing TV series, I mm. think this was meant to only be a film, just a oh. one off film. But I think there's a there are plans, or so I've heard, to possibly try to generate this into a series. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if they can do it. Um, that stuff usually falls in its face. But it'd be interesting to see if they can. So it's called the first team, and Will Arnett is uh, is very very sharp in it. Um and oh and one more here the Canterville Ghost I oh, yeah. uh, I did not get all the way through this I'll be honest this is also BBC um uh kind of funny sort of like uh, if you were gonna do a uh, uh take Doctor Who sensibilities and <laughs> yeah. uh, and do the do a do a ghost story with a little bit of um 
European historical background background to it. It's based on the Oscar Wilde uh, comedy, but it's very updated. It's not literally the Oscar Wilde. It's just kind yeah. of inspired by it. But uh, it feels very Doctor Who-ish. And, yeah, uh, I thought it was hysterical. Shit cracked me up. <laughs> I, I really, I thoroughly, but you know how I am about Doctor Who. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see what else. we got a few more TV things here, and then I want to hit the 4K, and that'll probably wrap us out. Uh, Nancy Drew season three. Let me just kind of go through some of this. Big fan uh, of Nancy Drew. Uh, it's a which nice is new so Nancy surprising Drew, to me it, yeah. because when when it, what do we what do we, what do you got season two there season three uh, season, season three uh, because yeah. it, it 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 I thought it was just going to be straight up uh, like the Hardy Boys. The Hardy Boys is is is, is, yeah. is, is out there too, uh, just a detective thing. But they went with the supernatural angle. Uh, there's a whole bunch of supernatural stuff going on, you know, and yeah. uh, and I'm like, and it took me a minute to just to, to just sort of like let my standard Nancy Drew, because you know I'm an old school Nancy Drew Hardy yeah. Boys kind of guy, and I just sort of like let it go, and they rolled with the supernatural thing, and I'm like, it's just CW. This is always going to be. There's no such thing as a show in the CW. Yep. That doesn't have something supernatural or superhuman or whatever going on. It's the nature of the network. So I got over myself, and now I kind of dig Nancy Drew. I like it. I think it's a sharp new. I mean, I'm Pamela. Pamela Sue is my Nancy Drew. Yeah, uh, yeah me I'm too, really, me too. I'm really, I'm really, I, I think this is a great new, uh, great new start for the uh, franchise. Yeah, the redheaded uh, kid is cute. Uh, AMC, AMC Plus, no less. Uh, original series, season one of Kin, another one of these family crime dramas, kind of like um, uh, uh, Animal Kingdom in some respects. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a family on a, it's a crime family on a revenge, revenge mission against a, um, an international cartel. It's sometimes, I almost say it's, it sometimes verges on being brutal for the sake Mm. of being brutal. Mm. Um, takes place in Ireland. Yeah. And I, uh, but you know what? It's also got a lot of really, really good stuff in it. I mean, it's doing that thing that we've been just criticizing billions and, and yeah. succession for doing, which is that it sort of contrives dramatic situations just so that actors can really, really act. But at the same time, they're really good actors. I mean, yeah, Charlie Cox Sarah and Hines, Karen Hines. Hines and, yeah. 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 I, what I question is this. Charlie Cox is amazing. But the word on the street is that Disney is going to reboot. I mean, first of all, he's back as Daredevil. Mm-hmm. In the in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe now, so he's in MCU. He's back as Daredevil. He's already shown up in a Spider-Man movie, and they're talking about rebooting the Daredevil series, picking up from where it left off on Netflix. Because mm-hmm. now all that's on Disney again. Now that's a dream come true for me. But can Charlie Cox keep doing Kin and Daredevil? Mm. Can he do Kin in Ireland and and still do Daredevil in the, in in New York? I mean, can he do both shows? <laughs> Well, you know, he's, he's, he, look, he's, he's, he's top of the call sheet. Uh, and I imagine on both of those shows. Yeah. So I imagine he's the guy that they will figure the schedule around. Uh, but it, it, now, 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 uh, this is an eight episode situation. What was yeah. Daredevil on Netflix? Was that eight episodes? It was about oh, eight. Yeah. It's it was about, about eight. eight. You know, so that's 16 episodes, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of both shows. You, you spread those out apart and yeah, you can get, you can, you can possibly get it done if, if you don't beat yourself up too bad back in the day you know that was in 30 Boy, 30 for, and 30 yeah uh, uh and, and then not for a long time 22 and 22 uh saying, now, though, for, yeah. for 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 those two for those two productions though that's a scheduling nightmare yeah because you got to schedule your other actors too and now everybody is at the mercy of mr cox yeah you know yeah yeah but that's that's why you want to get to but, the top of the call sheet 
<laughs> it is indeed. Uh, complete fifth season of Lucifer. Uh, I think you were a little bit more fond of this than I. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I while. mean, five seasons is way too many for, for yeah. this. I, I, you know, I, I don't know. The, whatever. It's this, this shows, you know, kind of run its course. I, it's another, again, it's the same thing all the time. Um, Constantine in the house of mystery, um, more DC showcase. Yeah. More Constantine. They're trying to the, DC. I think DC can't figure out what to do with John Constantine because they, they had the movie with Keanu Reeves, yeah. which was fine, but they never got a sequel out of it. No. And then, uh, the, the, the series, uh, and then of course the same guy from the series showed up in legends of tomorrow. Yeah. And, and in the crossover episodes. Yes. And, and, uh, yeah, and then they've yeah. been, tr- they've been trying to do a thing with him here in, in animation, which is fine. Uh, and then, and now they're talking about, you know, bringing back into the movies. I, I here, I'm Tim, I'm going to share a secret with you. I don't think Constantine is that interesting. <laughs> Apparently not. I don't, I don't, I don't think Constantine is a very interesting comics character. I just don't. I, I he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have tights. He wears a trench coat. Um, he's a little bit too angsty for me. Yeah, yeah, he's very really, brooding. He's very brooding. He's very brooding. Uh, and, and I get, I get tired of that real quick. Uh, so yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, if if I if I if I need somebody to kind of like dip into the other world and and raise hell in hell, all right, give me Hellboy. Yeah, at least yeah. Hellboy's like got a whole interesting thing with the horns and the saws them off and the whole thing. At least that's interesting to me. But Constantine, I, I he wears a tie and I, I just you know. He's got a suit or something, dude. Uh, anyway, I don't know. But uh, this is a fairly interesting story, but it's still, you know, it's got like the apocalypse war. He has to prevent it from happening. And um, there's a whole, there's a whole thing that they did. It, it, they're, they're trying hard. I just don't, I don't see it quite working. Uh, as long as we're in uh, in DC animation, let's also make mention of Teen Titans Go and the DC superhero girls mayhem in the multiverse. Mm. Uh, this is that extreme superhero girls wacky f- animation style that they've got. I I guess for people who love Teen Titans Go and the DC superhero girls and that style of animation, they love this whole merging crossover multiversey thing. It's cute, but I am probably forty years at, at a minimum <laughs> too old to really enjoy this. Um, so I'll leave that to those for whom this is a thing. Got two more uh, TV things here. Let's talk about Bull first, season five. Yeah, season five, man. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it's kind of working. Um, season five seasons in. It, this is the. This is a. I. I, I guess you know they're. They, they, they're giving him an interesting personal life. They're doing things with the personal life. So it's not the same thing over and over and over. Um, and, and they're bringing a, they're bringing the pandemic into the court system. So, you know, we're at least, it's not just courtroom procedural stuff week after week after week after week. Mm. So I feel like bull is really trying to mix it up and, and find another dimension to what they did before. I feel like five seasons in and this, the show is still working. Your thoughts? Well, you know, uh, Michael Weatherly is a very uh, personable uh, a guy. What was that show? He was he was in something for 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 you know fifteen seasons, yeah. Uh, uh, before this, he's a very personable guy. Uh, uh, it's 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 sort of like an interesting sort of hook. He's not a lawyer. This is this is a um, a uh, kind of a procedural, really, right? Would you call yeah. this a procedural? Uh, I'd call not, it courtroom yeah, procedural. Court, courtroom yeah, procedural is what I'd say. But he's not a lawyer, which is what's in, what's, what makes it interesting to me. You know, he's a psychologist. Yeah. 
yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the last one here is very interesting. I don't think I ever knew this even existed. Uh, a a live television production from um, from nineteen when would this have been nineteen fifty something? But the Diary of Anne Frank, uh, which uh, I didn't, I never even knew that this was this existed with Max von oh, the one with, the one with the one with Shelley Winters. This is Mac. No, no. This no? is this is this is not this is not the feature film. Not the George, is, not the this, George Stevens. This is something. Else. Okay. No, right. this is a television production. This is a David Susskind production for television. Okay. Of the Diary of Anne Frank with Max von Sydow, or Shudo, as you were supposed to pronounce oh, it. Oh, uh, Donald Pleasance, Donald Pleasance, and Theodore Baikal. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that this had ever even existed. Um, and it's really, really fascinating. It, it looks, I, 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 I don't, oh, 1967. 67. Aired in 1967. So um, really quite interesting. Uh, it, it, they included the original commercials, so you get the, the, the complete feel with the, with the commercial breaks and so forth. Um, not as good as the film, not as mm. good as the feature film by, mm. by any means, but very different. And adapted by James Lee in a very interesting way. And I, I really do feel like they did something that feels the fact that it ha- it does. Again, we're going to do another another one of these uh, analogies, but it has the um, it does have that dark shadows kind of quality to it. But again, it feels very intimate, very, um, very like you're watching a, a stage play, like you're sitting mm. right front row. And uh, it's very disturbing. Uh, well, this, this is adapted is from the um, this is adapted from the uh, the Albert Hackett. Correct. Play stage play. Yeah. Yes. Uh, from 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 the from the middle fifties, uh, which interestingly, I'm, I'm, I'm just I just happened to be reading here, uh, opened at the Court Theater in fifty five. Uh, uh, this this particular play, the Court, I think it's the theater that they like in the last week uh, renamed the James Earl Jones Theater. Yeah. Uh, that's the court, right? If yeah. I'm not mistaken. So that's really, really you know, yeah, this is adapted from the play. So that actually makes sense uh, that it has that sort of stage play feel to it. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about some 4Ks. Uh, we got a ton of them here uh, and, and steelbooks galore. Um, so let me talk about the steelbooks first because this is all stuff that has basically been released previously. And that will then dove us into our, our other Chris Pine thing. So we have we have 4K steelbooks for Bridge of the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia, the mm. two David Lean classics, as well as Raiders of the Lost Ark and Hell or High Water. Um, this is all stuff that's been released previously. Hell or High Water is a Best Buy exclusive. Raiders and Bridge. So here's the thing. Lawrence of Arabia previously released in 4K in that Columbia Classics set, that first Columbia Classics set. Mm-hmm. Same damn thing. Everything oh. is exactly the same. Nothing is different. You're getting no benefit whatsoever other than the fact that you get to buy this as a steelbook standalone and you don't have to get the other movies. But I would say that the other movies are worth getting. Mm. Um, Bridge of the River Kwai, slightly different deal. This has a um, a picture and graphics track on it, and it has uh, a different and, and enhanced set of audio options, which I think do make it worth upgrading. Uh, this was previously released in a standalone 4K set, so... A lot of people might might not be happy with that. It's probably the picture and and the you know the main audio track probably the same, but uh, you might want to just double check and see what your system will support and mm. uh, and reconfirm that that you want the additional audio options. But visually, you're not getting any anything else out of the movie. You're just getting that you know picture and graphics track, which some people might not care about. Um, Raiders, 
basically the same thing. This is the, the, the previous set that included all of the, uh, the Raiders films in 4k, all the same stuff, nothing new here. Uh, it's, you know, Dolby Atmos, Dolby vision, the, the, the same drill, um, except you get it in a standalone steel book and, uh, hell or high water is, um, I, you know, this is, this is still a great film. Mm. I almost think this is worth upgrading. It's uh you know, two disc for uh, the 4k and the blu-ray like they usually do. It's got some uh, cool extras on it. Uh, I don't believe I have not been able to corroborate whether or not this is uh, the extras here are uh, are exactly the same. I suspect they are, but nonetheless, it's a it's a really nice steel book with a sleeve with a mm. slip cover. I don't know why you would do that. A steel book with a slip cover, still pretty nice. Best Buy exclusive. It's kind of fancy. And that brings us to the contractor, Chris Pine film. Uh, yeah. Tim, contractor, why is this on 4K? You tell me. Right, well, no, you tell me why. Why it's on the your Chris Pine Special I, I, Forces I, 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 guy? Everything. So you tell me why is this on four? I don't know. I have no idea. It's yeah. not a very good film. I yeah. mean, basically, Chris Pine is it's 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 a it's the kind of film that that you know Schwarzenegger or Stallone or Bruce Willis would have passed on in 1985. Yeah. Um. It and it would have gone on to like you know some straight to video B movie guy. Basically, he's a he's a marine. Uh, he's a special forces guy, and they they let him go because he's been taking painkiller drugs to be able to keep himself going because he has so many injuries and he's been beaten up so badly, and they don't want drug addicts on the on the thing. And you know he's he's just kind of hooked on the stuff to keep himself going. So he becomes a private contractor mm-hmm. and uh, uh, realizes at a certain point that he's he's been, he's the fall guy. He's not supposed to achieve the mission and come mm-hmm. back. They're they're gonna you know they're gonna take him out and let him take the take the fall. So he goes rogue. Yeah, you know the rest. Uh, yeah. And he's got to come back and you know make him pay. Um, it's um, the plot makes no sense whatsoever. It's completely contrived. But you are watching it basically just to watch some some really really good actors do some some good work. And I gotta give it to Chris Pine. He's He's a solid actor. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He pulls these things off. Uh, ben Foster shows up in this. Ben again. Foster it's is, you know, is very, very good, and it brings a lot of legitimacy. So yeah, I mean, that's that's the the deal. But uh, that brings us now to Michael Bay's Ambulance, which uh, which which a lot of people really, really thoroughly enjoyed. There, it had you know, we saw like a midland, not particularly big hit, uh, but a lot of people thought it was thought it was fun. I, look, I've seen this movie so many times. You know, what, what can I say? You know, I've, I've yeah. seen this movie a whole bunch of times. And Michael Bay's style of filmmaking, and and, and this is not uh, a, a criticism, but it just hasn't changed at all in, in no. twenty five years. He's, he makes it's, it's just he's he's making the exact same movie in the exact same way that he has been for 25 years. And, and I don't know, uh, it's, it's, it's fine, but, uh, yeah, a lot of people like it. I mean, here, so here I'll say this. And if anybody hasn't followed this, this is just a kind of a straightforward thriller, um, hijacking of an ambulance. Yeah, and yeah. Isaac Gonzalez is the, the, the paramedic who's on board and becomes hostage. It's a little bit like speed except with an ambulance. Is that yeah. fair, fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. A little yeah. Bit, yeah. Kind of sort of. Jake uh, yeah, yeah, is great in this. Yeah. yeah, he I mean he yeah, absolutely terrific. Isaac Gonzalez is terrific. Jake Gyllenhaal is really good. Yeah, it feels familiar, but here's the thing. Even though I don't think this is a great film, I see what Bay is doing. I think he's trying to get back to some kind of serious filmmaking. I think mm. he's trying to get level. And this is what he was able to get get done. Mm. This is more in the vein of The Rock. 
Yeah. Right? He's going yeah. back yeah. to that kind of filmmaking. Because even Trans- Con Air. Even Con Air. Even yeah, Con Air. Because yeah. right, right. Because because uh, you know that kind of stuff. Because that, those films were a thing for a minute. And and he's gone so far afield with with the Transformers movies. And you know, Bad Bad Boys Three was kind of like, where did that come from? And so you know, all of, I think he wants to get back to something a little bit more serious, but he can't do it in one pivot. So this is a step in that direction. We'll see what the next film is. But even though this wasn't entirely successful and it's like his least successful film in years, I feel like, I don't know, he he's at least trying to, to get back to, to the center. Yeah, he's, he's um, trying to split the difference. This is an adaptation of a yeah. whatever, Danish or whatever it is. I don't know what it was, but the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. German. yeah, yeah. Um, Malignant is... Which was much better than it was given... Credit for the James Wan, Wan film, yeah, yes, a lot, film. a lot better. James Wan is is not gotten his uh, his proper due as a director. I mean, he's he he really does because he's still kind of stuck to the Saw films. I think mm. people aren't willing to let him sort of shed that reputation. But mm-hmm. boy, he really, you know, The Conjuring was so good, and he does the thing, the same thing here. I mean, this is his genre. He really, this is his totally his genre, and uh, this feels a little bit like it's a it's a throwback to those. Um, to those things like uh, what was the Audrey Hepburn film? Uh, oh, uh, it, 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 yeah, in the dark with Alan Arkin. Yeah, Alan Arkin. Yeah, that yeah. one. The direct. Yeah, that that yeah. that one. It feels yeah. like it's a little bit throwback to those kinds of women in Jeopardy films, a little bit. Um, but I think it's really, really effective. I mean, it's basically a lady who has these. You know, she's haunted by visions of murder, and um, and then you know it starts to sort of become. Well, obviously, you know, it, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a movie if, if the visions didn't sort of tie into something that's actually happening. Yeah. But uh, I think the suspense and the scares and everything is very, very sharp. And the reason I would recommend the 4K is for the audio, frankly. Mm. Uh, it re- the sound mix on this thing is tremendous. And it really, really, if you've got a great system, it'll it'll just it'll scare everybody in the house, even if they aren't looking at it. Yeah, w- waking um, dreams are kind of creepy. I mean, we've all had those sort of waking dreams, yeah. nightmares, waking dreams, and that's what this is. And it's yeah, those, those, those all right. So, so you and I are going to have a disagreement over the Northmen. Uh, Go, <laughs> <laughs> as I said, Shaka Zulu for white people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what it is. Which, which it's not. A, this, it's not a bad thing, relatively speaking. But, but that is what it is. Look, homies, abs in this movie. <laughs> and if, if for folks who remember Shaka Zulu. Uh, and they should look up Shaka Zulu. What was Omi's name? Uh, uh, who, uh, uh, who played Shaka? Oh, uh, he, was, and, he was great. Oh my God. Uh, with that body, uh, which was totally and completely in, in, insane. But insane. mostly, mostly that, that movie wasn't about Shaka Zulu. It was about, it was about, you know, Edward Fox and Robert Powell and Trevor Howard and all those people yeah. in there, uh, you know, set against the backdrop of Shaka Zulu. This, though, um, I don't know. Um, I, I don't blame a film for the things that people do with films. And there are strands of sort of white, this, that, or the other who've, who've claimed this film is something. I'm like, okay, whatever with you goofballs. <laughs> you, you fuck you with all your goofy shit. Uh, but it's, um, you know, it's a hell of a movie. Uh, not remotely a historical account of anything that happened anywhere with any humans at all. <laughs> it is not. It's just not. But that's okay. I I didn't like this movie at all. Uh, <laughs> I, I just didn't. First of all, it, it allegedly cost like ninety some million dollars. I but don't know why? where that went. But why? I don't know where that went. It's like it's a it's a bunch of you know like naked people <gasps> in Iceland, uh, you know, bludgeoning each other with swords. I don't really know where the money went. I, I don't. I don't get it. It, it. it looks like it looks like it should have been about twenty million tops. 
So uh, Alexander Skarsgård, bravo on the abs, bro. Oh, totally, uh, like, yeah, he uh, totally killed it on the on the workout. But ultimately, it really is just a revenge story. It's yeah. just, it's just, it's Mad Max all over again. Man. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, name any of them. I mean, uh, Gladiator all over again. It's just sort of that thing. And could we just Robert Eggers? Conan. So he wrote he wrote this. Yeah, it's very Conan like. Robert Eggers wrote this with uh, with Shone who's some kind of a uh, uh, big Scandinavian Icelandic novelist. And that's his thing. He want, and they adapted it from all of these old sagas, right? Like, yeah. like he did that with the witch and the lighthouse too. It went back to the source material, yeah. which is starting to feel like a crutch. Yeah. Everybody's talking like in, in, in the lingo and the art, the, the jargon of, you know, 400, 500, 600 years ago. I don't care. Yeah. It, 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 I honestly, I don't care how authentic that is. As long as it just, am I interested? Here's my problem with this. This has like 19 different shaman and about 27 different dream sequences that have nothing to do with the movie. Mm. I I just don't get it. Like there's the there's a woman who's a witch and a shaman, and then there's you know Willem Dafoe shows up with like three teeth, going and then the thing will do the blah, and you do the who, and you jump into the hole, and there will be a prophecy that blah blah blah. I don't care. Just just. <laughs> I really don't. I can't. <laughs> the last of these that I really thoroughly enjoyed, at least in terms of uh, of, of movies. Uh, this is a lot of stuff on television. Uh, but do you remember? You remember uh, Antonio Bender? Uh, the Thirteenth oh, yes, Warrior. Warrior. That is by. I say this to people all the time. I say this to people all the time. If not for, but for the genre aspect of that. And the fact that Antonio Banderas, who is Spanish, is playing an Arab yeah, well, who, for yeah. some reason, has hitched a ride with the Vikings while they are fighting monsters. <laughs> Putting aside all of that silliness, that's a great Viking movie. Yeah, yeah which was, and that's because uh, was I think that's I think it was Crichton. I think Crichton. It's John McTiernan film. John McTiernan directed it. So uh, I, I think that's an unfairly maligned movie. People just didn't oh, yeah. know what no, to do. No, it's a good movie. It. Yeah, because we, I think we saw that movie in, in screening together back yeah. in 99, 98, 99, yeah. whenever we did William Wisher screenplay. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but that's the last one of, one of the, on, at that scale that I really sort of, sort of deeply appreciated. For sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. We are we are at one thirty nine. You know, let, let's just hit a couple of, of of the new movies that we we didn't get to. Oh, really, really fast. I want to I want to put a shout out for um, Fortress Sniper's Eye, which is not a good movie, but it is one of Bruce Willis's last movies. Mm. Um, yeah. Covered this sort of on radio, and this is a sequel to the previous Fortress movie that Bruce Willis was in. Look, it's. Uh, forget about the plot. I it's 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 dumb, silly, straight to straight to video stuff. Bruce Willis is not in much of this, but I'm glad Bruce Willis was able to make a few of these movies and bank some cash for his family yeah. and for himself yeah. um, amid this really horrible diagnosis of uh, yeah. of a very unusual dementia that is uh, taking him out of his his career. It's ending yeah. his career. Yeah, a little but, bit, little, little early. Well, I don't think we ever talked about that situation, and I guess we won't go into it too deeply here. But I will say this. Uh, love me some Bruce Willis and always have. <clears throat> and I think that he's, that, that he, the, he is handling, has handled this situation in exactly the way that I would. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'd put together a team. I'd go make me a whole bunch of stupid ass money, uh, you know, and throw it at my people and, you know, and, 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 uh, and go on about my business. I think, yep. uh, so I love that. I love that yep. about him. Yeah, so I agree. Way to hold it down, Bruce. I agree. Um, and then we've we've got three other movies here. Uh, Morbius, Father and Stew, Father Stew. So talk about Father Stew. 
Interesting, uh, interesting thing. Well, you know, or yeah, 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 Ross with Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson. I mean, Mark is playing 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 these two characters, and 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 Jackie Weaver. Uh, uh, um, uh, so you know, um, uh, so it just follows the life of this guy, a boxer who becomes a priest, uh, and, and inspires a whole bunch of people. It's one of those kind of movies. I thought it was cute. Actually, it's one of one of my. Mark Wahlberg got right yeah. behind this. I mean, he wanted to make something uplifting. You know, he yeah. is he is he is a practicing Catholic, and he wanted to uh, he wanted to do something that sort of gave back in a way that most movies don't. And he put himself out there on the line. And this thing has made some money. Did it make a ton of money? No, no, no. but but it, it gets it out of that faith based ghetto that that those movies wind up in so often. And uh, I, I I tip my hat to it. It's a good little movie. Is it's it? Is cute. it it's, it's funny. Sweet. It's sweet. Yeah. I like it. You know, Mark Wahlberg has been on, on, on sort of a, you know, well, whatever. He's I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Jared Leto and Morbius. They're the man. They yeah. are trying their, their level best mm. to expand this Spider-Man universe that, that they are allowed to expand in a very limited way under their agreement with Marvel over at Sony. Man, this is not the way to do it. Mm. Uh, you know, basically, it's a freaking werewolf vampire movie that's all it is is jared leto gets you know bitten by bats and and then he turns into a freaking vampire i think, I think they the thought city. i think they thought they could latch on to that venom train yeah because you know, those two venom films you know uh, uh and i think they thought that they could get it to sort of latch into that way but no it's just this was just not no yeah, no, this is not. It's just a vampire movie. Yeah. It's all it is. And and what's his face? The the former uh, Doctor Who, uh, Matt Smith, yeah. um, is ridiculous. He's ridiculous here. I just I don't get it. I I really really don't get it. I don't know what they thought. I mean, it's a it's a it's a stupid script and it's a dumb idea. They also been throwing a whole lot of the stuff at Jared Leto, man. I mean, like, look how I many know. you know how many how many shots at at at, at these universes is he, uh, he was a. And, and could I just say, I mean, it, I, and I watched the, the the thing here, you know, the 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 visual effects uh, featurette stuff. It's not impressive because it's all CG. Mm. It's so much more impressive when you go back to the howling and American Werewolf in mm. London and all of that, that real makeup effect stuff. That's where it really lives. It's a cheat with the CG. It's, just, it's a cheat. I've been over it for years. You know me. And lastly, you know what? If you don't know who T West is, you should discover T West has been laboring under the radar as one of the, the great, um, horror directors and, yeah. and suspense directors of, of kind of the low budget world for a long time guy makes so much he makes so many movies and he just cranks them out and mm-hmm. keeps getting money for them and good on him but i want him to get like a bigger budget at a certain point x um is might be the movie that kind of pushes him over over the edge if mm-hmm. you if you love these genre films x is a good one to to maybe discover t west with if you haven't discovered him yet and it 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 does it does a thing that people like um, th- that Wes Craven and Toby Hooper once did, which is it's a little bit self reflexive in the sense that you've got they're they're making an adult movie in Texas, yeah, and nineteen seventy nine, yeah, it's yeah. sort of going into that that slasher film moment, right? And uh, the old couple that owns the property, they have no idea what's going on, and um, and. And then every and then he turns the tables on you yeah. in the middle of this thing, and it's it's both horrific and funny, and it's so well done and it's so well played. It's got some featurettes on it. 
um, which are fine. But you're watching this just to really enjoy the fact that you have this director most of you have probably never heard of before, T. West. Yeah. He's been out there just cranking them out. But this is a good one to discover. And if you like it, go discover some of his other movies. Good work here. And, and because it, it looks like it was made, it's set in 1979, but it looks like a movie made in 1979. Which I love. Uh, and, you know, he had this very sort of particular lighting. So really, really good. Kid Cudi uh, 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 in this movie. And, uh, you know, playing sort of porn star. Yeah. And Kid Cudi is absolutely hysterical uh, in this movie. And a really, really great actor. You know, didn't expect that from him. But there you go. You never know who's all good. good, man. You never know who's going to be really good. It's all good. All right. With that, Tim, we are uh, we are done. Hope everybody has a has a great week, and uh, we'll be back in about two weeks. And then it's going to be a little bit of a layoff. I'm going to be out of town. Mm. Are you? Uh, do you have any summer plans? No, no. Going to be round and about. Uh, went to see my mother. Uh, just you know, well, you know, my mother's birthday back in May, so that's yeah. all good. Uh, ticket prices are a little bit ridiculous. Uh, so if you didn't buy a ticket uh, a while ago, yeah. flying is kind of bananas right now. You guys driving or flying? We are flying, but we bought our tickets a while ago. That's what you did. If you, if yeah. you did that, uh, it'll make sense. Uh, so, you know, yeah, so it'll be interesting. Uh, and hopefully, in a, in, 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 you know, we're, we're, we, we are about uh, to try to take a look at delving off into some, some other um, uh, business here in the media. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to tell the folks who listen to the show some few weeks we we got we, we got things in the works so we're working on it all right perfect everybody um have a great summer Thank you.